John 17, verse 11. That's where we're going to be this morning. Good to see all of you again. Great to sing with you and pray with you and hear the word with you already. Going to continue in John 17. You know, sometimes we read and I preach through large passages. We go at a quicker pace. We do this when we're dealing with uh, what we call narrative passages. We do it when we're looking at the big picture, dealing with the big themes of the Bible. You know, you could preach or I could preach. You could too if you want to, I guess. We could all preach the whole Bible in one sermon. And that would be what we call a expositional sermon. Just go through the whole thing. We could do that. Be very helpful. We would see God. We would see creation. We would see God's plan. We would see, we would talk about sin. We would talk about the Redeemer. We would talk about Christ coming to save us from our sin. We would talk about being called out of darkness into light. We would talk about what it means to be the people of God, how to live in this world, how to wait for the return. Jesus comes back. There it is, the whole Bible in 20 seconds. We could do that. Sometimes we read and we preach slowly, like we're doing now. We go through passages like John 14, 15, and 16. We call it the farewell discourse. We spend a long time in those three passages. We're in John chapter 17 right now. It's called the high priestly prayer because Jesus was the high priest, our high priest, and he prayed for us. That's why it's called that. And we can go very slowly through this one. Because every paragraph in this prayer of John 17, every sentence, really every phrase, and some of the words themselves are so full of meaning and instruction and hope. It just takes more time in these kinds of passages to get at what's there and for what's there to get inside of us, in our minds, in our affections, to shape our character and to guide us. We could spend a whole sermon on one word, and that would be a benefit to us. That's a little advice for the way you read the Bible. Read fast. Go through the whole Bible in a day. Skim. Go through the whole Bible in a day. And then read slow. Spend a week in a couple of verses. That's the way we do it in preaching, too. We're in John 17. It should be read as a whole. Read the whole thing. One prayer. It's the prayer of Jesus for himself, for the 11 disciples who are still with him. Judas has already left at this point to betray Jesus. It's the prayer of Jesus for the church. Read the whole thing when you go home today. We can also, as we're doing, preach little sections of it. Work through little sections of it. Because there are individual requests tucked away in John 17 that Jesus wants for us. And we need to slow down and take the time to let these individual requests get into our minds and into our hearts so that we'll want them too. So that we will start to pray the very things that Jesus prayed for and to pursue them. So the portion... It's a long lead-in to say the portion, the smaller portion of John 17 that we're focusing on today is where Jesus makes a request that his people would be kept. Kept from the evil one, kept in the Father's name. Now remember where we are. It's the final night before Jesus was crucified. 
He's already had the final meal with his disciples. After three years of eating with him, this is the final one before he is raised from the dead. He has another one then, but the final one before his crucifixion. He gives the final instructions before he gives the great commission after he's raised from the dead. And now he's praying the final prayer for them before he prays another prayer for himself. Not my will, but your will be done. It's very important where we are in this passage. Jesus has already prayed for his glory. He says, I pray that you will glorify me, Father, that I may glorify you, and that our glory may come from giving eternal life to those whom you've given me. Now we've turned a corner, and Jesus is praying for his followers. The disciples and you and me, and very important, while we remain in the world, This is what he wants for us. Stand with me in honor of God's word. John 17, beginning in verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. Now, I know that you just heard the words, but did you feel it? Did you sense what's going on in this prayer? Are are we feeling and are we sensing the weight of this? The significance of this request for this particular time and this situation in the life of the disciples. Do you feel this? There are phrases being used in this prayer. and In the passage that I read, the few verses. In the world. Now you know what that means, don't you? Jesus is talking about a place of danger. Keep them. Guard them. Evil one. Are you feeling it? You sense what's going on here, the importance of it. The world hated them. But I'm saying these things that my joy may be fulfilled in them. All of this adds weight and importance to the prayer. Did you hear that? Did you sense that? And did you hear the heart of Jesus behind the words? Jesus is concerned at this point because Jesus cares. He cares for his disciples. He cares for his church. Jesus cares for you. That's why he prayed this. Jesus prayed Jesus knows at this point, he's already said it, that no one who belongs to him is going to be lost. Not one person who belongs to Jesus, belongs to God, is going to be lost. Jesus said two chapters earlier, or or 
seven, sorry, seven chapters earlier, Jesus said, not one of his sheep is going to be snatched from his hand or the Father's hand. Not one. And yet, he prayed. Because Jesus knows that the only way his people are going to be kept in the Father's hand, not snatched away, not lost, the only way is by God's keeping grace. So, he prayed. And Jesus knows at this point that his people, his disciples, and the church to come will be in constant danger in this world. He knows that we are in danger of veering off the course, of being tossed around by everything that comes along that's new and appealing and according to human wisdom. He knows that this is going to happen until he returns. That ever so often, somebody's going to come around and say, here's something updated, something that is better than what God has given us in the word. He knows this. And so, he prayed because he knows something can come along and take us away from the very name of God. Jesus knows that attacks will come. That temptations will come from the evil one. And that this will be a constant in our lives. If you're ever considering and wondering when you'll get over the time of temptation, it won't happen until you die or Christ comes back. If you ever wonder when will God finally put down the evil, he will, but that is called the end and we're not there yet. So he knows all of this. Jesus knows that the trials of life and the pressures of this world are going to constantly pull at us. We are going to experience these things every day until we get home. And he knows that we will be hated for following him. He knows all of this. And so he prayed. He is concerned, he cares, he loves While he was here, he kept his people, his disciples. While he was here, he taught them. Now he's leaving, he says. So he prays. He prays to entrust them to God. He prays because his church remains on his heart. Right now, today, in the heart and on the mind of Jesus Christ is the church. Jesus does not walk away from his church. Jesus does not lose interest in his church. Jesus did not do his job and then leave the rest up to us. That is a horrible version of the gospel. Well, he did his part, now you do yours. Well, if that's what I'm left with, I'm not getting anywhere. Jesus is concerned. He loves his church. He did his job And he will keep doing his job because his job is the job that matters. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. And he earned our salvation on the cross. We don't earn it. He earned our salvation on the cross. He granted salvation to us and he continues to pray. Jesus prays 
because he knows, verse 11, that he is leaving us in the world. And he knows that in this world, even as his redeemed people, we will have to fight the flesh, the old self that has been crucified with Christ at the cross but continues to try to resurrect and dominate. And he knows we're going to fight this flesh and so he prays for us. And he knows that as long as we live in this world that we are going to have pressure to conform because the world hates Christ and we are trying to conform to Christ. And so he prays. He knows in this world the devil seeks to devour. Jesus, John 14 through 16 tells us, has given us the Holy Spirit, the helper. He has given us the word, the message of truth, the gospel, and he gave us each other, John 13, and he also prays. Surely the father is going to hear the prayer of his son. When I read John 17 this week, I thought, surely the father is going to hear the prayer of his son. God the Father cannot deny God the Son. And the Son has prayed for us. Church, we will be kept by the power of God because Jesus prayed for it. And in this world, we will have tribulation. And the enemy, and let's just use this. Just, just turn this one on here. I'll turn this one off and it won't keep going out, okay? Can you hear me? Perfect. We will be kept by the power of God because Jesus prayed for us. But in this world, we will have tribulation and the enemy seeks to devour. And until the enemy, who has already been defeated at the cross, but continues to resist as long as he can until the final day, Revelation tells us there will be a final day. Until then, we can still be impacted, discouraged, downcast, rendered unfruitful and ineffective and stunted in our growth. That is true. He will get us home, but it's a battle. So Jesus prayed. And this morning, we are listening to the prayer. We're hearing the prayer of Jesus so that we can make the prayer of Jesus our own prayer. And we can also make it our pursuit. So when you leave today, and you say, what am I supposed to pray about this week? It will be perfectly clear. Because it's the same thing Jesus prayed for. We're going to take his prayer and make it ours. And it's also going to be our pursuit. Jesus prayed. This is what he prayed for in this passage. That the church would be kept in the name of God and from the evil one. Number one, he prayed that we would be kept in the name of God. Verses 11 and 12, simply that. Father, Holy Father, keep them in your name. 
Now, you remember last week we talked about the name. What does it mean to talk about the name of God? We're talking about God himself, the person of God. The name represented the nature of God, the word of God, the works of God, the grace of God. Aaron, the priest of the Old Testament, was told to put the name of God on the, on the Israelites. Put my name on them. What is my name? That the Lord would bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the name of God. It's the nature of God. It's who he is. Proverbs tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That's the person of God. A strong tower. God's name is God's person, his nature, his work, his words. That's why Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments tell us, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't use God's name lightly. Don't use it without proper intent. Don't use it unless you're using it the way he wants it to be used. Why? Because we're talking about him. It's who he is. The prayer of Jesus is that the Father would keep the disciples, his church, in the knowledge and the belief and the experience of God himself as he truly is, as he has revealed himself. To be kept in God's name is to believe and worship and identify and trust and obey and represent and proclaim the one living and true God who is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ recorded in the scripture. That's what it means to be kept in his name. The question is more expansive than do you believe in God? A person can say generically, I believe in God, but that's not the real question. The real question is, do you believe, do we believe in God as he is? The one living and true God who is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and in the scripture. That God, do we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The God of the prophets and of the apostles, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the consummator of all things, the judge of all people and the savior of all who believe in him. The only wise God who has dominion forever and ever, amen. That God, that's his name. Jesus prays that we be kept in his name. In verse 6 of our passage, just skip up a bit, go to verse 6. Jesus has already made the name, he said, known to them. He manifested the name of God to them. And then in verse 11, he actually does it again when he calls God Holy Father. When he says God is Holy Father, look, listen to the reverence of that. Listen to the intimacy of that. Listen to the truthfulness of that. Jesus would never use the name of God lightly. He uses it with all meaning and all purpose. And look what he reveals about God. He is holy. Jesus had been taught that from the Old Testament when he was a child, but he knew it because he's the son of God. And he's revealing it to us. Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy. Perfect, complete, transcendent. He's holy father. There's the intimacy. He's with us. He's relational. 
This is the God we serve. This is the God who saved us. This is the God we belong to. This is the God in 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 whose name we run into and are safe. Holy Father. Verse 12 tells us that while Jesus was on earth, he kept the disciples in that name. So for three years, he walked around with them. When they got confused, Jesus cleared them up. Who is God? He told them. When they fought with one another because they had jealousy and selfish ambition, they were fighting in their name. They were putting their name forward. Jesus rebuked them. And he corrected them. And he says, not so among you. No, you're to be the servants of all. There's only one God. You're not it. You're not him. When they were faithless, Jesus called them to believe. He taught them. He showed them. He said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, for three years, let these disciples see God because Jesus let them see him. All of this was to bring them into God. Not one of them, Jesus said, is lost. Not one, except except Judas, the son of destruction, the spiritually lost one, the betrayer. His actions, Jesus said, fulfilled the scripture. This was prophesied about in the Psalms. This was spoken of even in the New Testament in 2 Thessalonians. The actions of Judas to betray Jesus revealed that he was not really one of them in the first place. As John said later in 1 John, he went out because he was never really of them. But all of the others, those who belong, Jesus kept them in this name. He taught them and corrected them and guided them. He protected them. He guarded them, he said. Verse 11, but now he's going to the Father. And so he he entrusts them to the Father in prayer, and he's asking that they be kept in his name. So this first prayer is a prayer, this first request is is a request for perseverance in God, for perseverance in the truth about God, for perseverance in faith in God. This first request is that the church would persevere in faithfulness to God, that the church would persevere in the grace of God. This is what Jesus is praying for, the name that they would be kept in his name. Jesus prayed. The Father keeps. Jesus prayed. And then we are called. We're called to make Jesus' prayer our prayer. We are called to make what Jesus prayed for that which we pursue. We can pray this, Father, keep us in your name with with his son Jesus. But this also, we pursue this. We are watchful. We must remain watchful to know and to believe and to proclaim what is actually true about God in Christ. So I put this before you, church, congregation, I put this before you. God is misrepresented all the time. There will be messages about God. You will hear them. You will read them. You might have them run, flash through your mind. You might think of them yourself. There are misrepresentations about God all the time. And we are being called to not only hear the prayer of Jesus and pray it with him, but then to pursue 
being kept in the name of God by being watchful to know and to believe and to proclaim what is true about God in Christ. Maybe you can now think of a specific example, something you've read or a person you heard recently and the name of God was brought up and it struck you as odd. And you thought, I don't, I don't think that's the God of the Bible. I don't think that's the God of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I don't think that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if that's the case, then think about that. Guard yourself against that. Watch for that. Because we want to be kept in the name of God. We want to be watchful so we can be persevering in our pursuit of God. And we want to use every means of grace to do so. It's why we read the Bible. It's why we study theology, good theology, from the Scriptures. It's why we're grateful that the Holy Spirit is teaching us. It's why we speak to one another in the church. It's why we pray so that we will be kept in the name of God. That we will be kept in God. That we will be kept in the truth about God, the one living and true God. I hope you're hearing the prayer of Jesus and making it your prayer and making it your pursuit. That's what he prayed for. The second request, and they, they really connect with one another. The second request is that Holy Father, God, would keep them, us, from the evil one, verses 14 and 15. Jesus acknowledges that the disciples are not of the world, verse 14. And Jesus even said that the world is going to hate his disciples. The world is going to hate the followers of Jesus Christ because Jesus gave the word of God to them. And the word of God is a message. It's the gospel. And that gospel is good news, but it begins by declaring that all people are sinners. And that message of sin exposes the world, it exposes our hearts, and those who are not in Christ who first hear this message and don't respond to Christ become hostile to that message and hostile toward God. And in so being, they are hostile then to the church. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 14. We may want the world to like the church, and we hope that's the case, and there may be some short seasons throughout history where the world has thought well of the church, but we shouldn't be deceived to think that's the norm or that's going to continue. Our Savior has promised us. He has said it right here, that we will be hated in the world not because we are righteous, not because of our own self-righteousness, but simply because we bear the name Christ and carry his word. So we will be hated. And yet in verse 15, it's so interesting. Jesus did not ask that the disciples and the church be taken out of the world. Now you would think, if Jesus really loves his people, why doesn't he just take his people out of the world? If the world hates them, it's a bad place. Take them out of the world. That's not what he prays. Not that they would be taken out of the world, but I pray that you will keep them from the evil one. Now, this is the prayer of Jesus. We are going to remain right here in the world as the people of Jesus Christ by grace, not by our own righteousness, not by our own goodness, but by grace. We're going to be kept right here in the world. And Jesus is praying that we, that we would be protected from the evil one. There's an evil one. Maybe the greatest deception of the evil one 
is to convince people that there's no evil one. That's the weirdness of this whole thing. Most evil people want everybody to know they're around and that they exist and that they've got some kind of power. Most evil people go a long way to make other people know that they're here. But the evilest one of all does a whole lot to make people think that he doesn't exist. And that's how he works his evil. We're to be protected from this. Concerning the evil one, I'm going to say three things. One, he exists. Jesus assumed this. And we've read about him. He's in the third chapter of Genesis with Adam and Eve. He showed up to our first parents to tempt them and to pull them away from the will of God. In the book of Job, he shows up. And he accused Job of being a fair-weather servant of God. And then he unleashed torment on him. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fighting the temptation of the devil who came to him and did everything he could do to derail him to no avail. The apostle Peter is warning the church and he says, don't be deceived. Remember, he's a roaring lion and he's prowling around and he's going to do everything he can do to devour you. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talked about him. And he said, if there are people in in this world, which there are, the people of this world who do not believe in Jesus Christ are people who have their eyes blinded by the God of this world to prevent them from seeing Jesus. Don't be deceived. Don't be unaware. He is real. Now, be watchful. But don't be scared. Because the second thing we say about him is that God is greater than he is. And Jesus assumes and knows and speaks to this too. Verse 15, that's why Jesus prays to the Father to keep them from the evil one because the Father can. It's not even a close battle. Let me correct your thinking. It's not like we're going to see who wins in this wrestling match and they're both pretty good and one's going to be a little bit better. God is infinitely better. And we don't understand some things. Why he doesn't put an end to all this now. We have to leave that to him. We don't know. But we know he will because we've been told that he will. He'll cast him down into the lake of fire forever and ever. God is greater. Jesus said it in John 10. No one can snatch anyone from the hand of God, not even the devil. John wrote it later in his letter, 1 John 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And we just read it a moment ago together. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber. He keeps us from evil. So be aware, be watchful. But don't fear, rest, trust, turn to God. Don't be naive and unsuspecting, but don't shudder. 
Hold to the promise of God. Trust in the power of God. This would be a good place to say, become a Christian. Because what we're talking about here is not just a cosmic battle between God and the devil. This is something that's taking place on earth as human beings, darkened in the heart, are blinded to seeing Christ and coming to the saving knowledge of God until God removes the blinder and the person turns to faith in Jesus Christ. Turn. We're going to assume that right now, in the message being unfolded, we're going to assume that in the unfolding of your word, there is light. We're going to assume that right now, the Holy Spirit is using the Bible, the gospel, to awaken someone to the reality of Jesus Christ. So turn to him. Call out to him. Be saved. You will be forgiven of your sins. You'll be reconciled to God. Your eyes will be open. You'll see Christ. You'll no longer be in the domain of darkness. You'll no longer be blinded by the devil. You'll be on a road called eternal life. It starts today, goes all the way home to heaven. And until then, you're going to join the rest of us in a whole lot of fighting and a whole lot of battling and a whole lot of praying, but a whole lot of hope. Come to Christ. So there's a real devil. God is greater. And the third thing about this evil one is that we must resist him. And Jesus talked and assumed this too. Kept from the evil one doesn't mean that we don't resist and fight and do war. Of course we do. Why do you think Jesus prayed out loud? This is an interesting question. Why do you think Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17 out loud? He could have just prayed it to himself. It's the Father and the Son, God the Father, God the Son. They could have had a quiet time. Jesus could have had, and he could have gone away. And nobody wants to hear him. That's the way I do in the mornings. I don't want anybody around me when I'm praying. Jesus could have done that and gone away and prayed. And then, But why didn't he? He didn't because he wanted his disciples to hear this prayer. He wanted them to have the assurance that the Father will keep them. So that they would rest and have faith and trust and not fear. But he also wanted them to hear this so they would know that there is an evil one. He wanted them to know that they've got to fight. That they have to resist. In fact, Jesus said, recorded in John or in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is in the garden praying just before the crucifixion, and he looks at his disciples and he said, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. And the scriptures tell us that we have an armor that we're supposed to put on. Now, prayer is at the end of that. But before we get to prayer, the armor that we're supposed to put on is truth, the Bible, God's truth, truth of reality, who God is, what the world is about, who we are, how we come to faith, truth, righteousness, the righteousness of Christ granted to us that we may be presented before God, walking then in the righteousness of Christ. Gospel, readiness, faith, salvation, the word of God. These are the, this is the armor that we put on. But at the end of that, he says, pray. So we pray like Jesus prayed, but we have to fight with the armor. 
And Peter, who's at this prayer on the night, John 17, he's there, he hears it. He wrote later, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion. He's looking for somebody to devour. And that somebody's a real person. And then he says, resist him. Resist him. Firm in your faith. He's praying. He's confident. He's calling us to pursue this. That we might be protected from the evil one. There's the prayer of Jesus. That we would persevere in the name of God. That we would be protected from the evil one. Here are some exhortations for us as a congregation. Number one, brothers and sisters, let's remember, we are prayed for. I find that to be so encouraging. There's so much hope in that. We are prayed for. We have been prayed for. We are being prayed for right now. That's instructive too because if Jesus thought it was worth a prayer on the night before he died, then it must be important. And that tells us what to pursue. We should pursue being kept in his name and pursue being kept from the evil one. But it gives us confidence that Jesus' prayer will be answered. And a verse we haven't spoken of yet, verse 13, Jesus said, I speak these things in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. This is our joy. Congregation, here's your joy today. That when you live this week, you can know that you have been prayed for. And you've been prayed for by the Son of God to God the Father. Here's another exhortation. We pray the prayer of Jesus. We've been prayed for, number one. But number two, we we pray the same prayer of Jesus. The Christian and the congregation in prayer is the Christian and the congregation with Jesus. Because Jesus is praying. I often think that way. I often think in my mind that when I pray... I am really with Christ because he's praying. And this prayer that we're praying is our way of perseverance, our way of being protected. We must be in prayer. We often think, I need to find a way to persevere. I need to find a way to fight temptation. I need to find, where can I go to find a way? As if there's some secret out there that we have yet to discover. There is no secret waiting to be discovered. It's called prayer. We're called to enter in with God, with spirit and with the spirit and the word and pray. We pray the very prayers of Jesus. This week, will you pray for your own perseverance in the name of God? Our perseverance in the name of God? Will you pray for this church? Brothers and sisters, do you know there are congregations that are not persevering in the name of God? I fear that. Do you know that there are congregations that have given up on the truth of the Bible? They have. I've heard it with my own ears. 
I've read about it. I know some of those congregations. They've just given up. Will you pray that this congregation will persevere in the name of God by persevering in the truth about God as he has revealed himself in the word? Join me. Will you pray? Are you going to pray this week that you'd be protected from the evil one? I know Christians right now, and you do too. And I know congregations right now, and you do too, that seem to be being eaten alive. The temptations, the pressures, the false teaching. And there's just... They're just dying, shriveling. Are you going to go home and pray about this? Join me. Let's do this. And third, the prayer becomes our pursuit. We pursue what God intends to do. Give yourself to every means that God has given you to persevere and be protected. You may not want to. You know me. I don't, I don't pound on, you know, trying to get people to do a bunch of stuff here. I'm not, I'm not a guy that checks off boxes, you know. I mean, do you read your Bible every day? Okay, good for you. You get a couple brownie points. We'll give you a sticker or something like that. I don't do that. That's, it's not really helpful. But I do have to say this. God has given us means of grace. And we must avail ourselves to them. And if we don't, then we will feel the effect of that. It will happen to us. So are you going to avail yourself to the means that God has given you? Like watchfulness and the word and the church and prayer so that you will be kept by the very grace that God has given you to pursue single pure devotion to Christ and this will be our joy so let's confess God's going to keep us but let's pursue that's the way God will keep us Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth.